We are back, and what a great time it is to be back here on the First Draft Podcast. So we're keeping up with our cadence two months in. Beginning of the month, Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, two of the brightest minds in all of the NFL draft coverage are going to be joining me on Field Yates for a monthly check-in on the 2024 NFL Draft. Jordan, I'll start with you. How are you, my friend? You're traveling a lot. You're a busy man. How is the season treating you so far? It's good. I love the season just because I'm traveling, I'm eating everywhere, and I'm watching football, so I can't complain about that. Say, if you like life to be simple, <laughs> it's hard to beat what you just described. And Matt Miller, on top of the world these days, your 49ers are 4-0, absolutely crushing it. It's a good time to be Matt Miller. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it's the season just got started. Field. I've learned being a 49ers fan and a Texas fan. Don't get overconfident in September. Uh, okay. Definitely as a Texas fan. So I, I think we'll talk some Longhorns today. Uh, I mean, we have to. We have to. So uh, it, it'll be fun to see where the season goes. But right now, pretty excited as a football fan. Yeah, Texas with a big win this past weekend. Not the first time they've done that this season. 40-14 to 14 over Kansas, a team that previously was 4-0. and oh. Coming up on the show today, uh, every four weeks, you'll be reading the quarterback hot board from our guy, Jordan Reed. And uh, he is not not just posting the piece every four weeks, but he is, of course, keeping up with pretty much every game that every quarterback plays. And if you know anything about the 2024 draft yet, you know that the quarterback class does appear right now to be very deep. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. And the top quarterback prospects... I have a total of 14 on the list to potentially dive into on this show. I don't know that I can promise we'll get there all 14, but I think the first seven are at least compelling enough that we'll find some time for them. So here's what we're going to do. Just sort of ping pong back and forth with thoughts on how things have gone so far this season, whether the player may be a stock up, stock down, stock neutral, and uh, anything else that maybe comes to mind. So, Jordan, we'll start at the top. And it's no surprise that USC's Caleb Williams is number one, uh, the favorite as of right now to win yet another Heisman Trophy. Has he further separated himself from the field so far this year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's been as advertised. And everybody knew that Caleb was special coming into the year. And he won the Heisman Trophy. He had prolific numbers last year, 42 touchdowns to five interceptions. Um, and he's been everything that we thought he was coming into the season. He's been special in every game that he's played in. And I really enjoyed this matchup last weekend against Colorado, him and Shador Sanders, somebody we'll get to a little bit later. But just seeing how easy he makes the game look, that's what is so special about Caleb. He goes and he makes the easy throws, but then he'll come back and he'll make a miraculous off script out of pocket throw that just wows you. So Caleb has been as advertised and I think he's done everything that he needs to do to still be in the pole position with his quarterback class. And I think he's the unquestioned number one overall pick. Nothing's changed in that department to me. Yeah, definitely. I think he has only separated himself with his play. And I think also we're all human beings, even though we try to be unbiased when we evaluate. I almost like the expectations for Caleb as the reigning Heisman Trophy winner were astronomical. You almost come into it like, oh, man, how can he ever live up to that? We we see that every season with guys. I think he has lived up to that. You know, he has improved his play. He just threw his first interception of the season uh, this past weekend against Colorado. He's been very prolific as a passer, as a runner. I think we're seeing him mature into the position a little bit more. Uh, you can get into the nitty gritty and talk about time to throw. Yeah, there are times he's got like seven seconds back there. But the the ability to manipulate defenses with his eyes and with the threat of his legs is just really advanced quarterbacking, in my opinion. Yeah, he's definitely carry a heavy load too, right? Because that USC defense is, uh, once again, not the strength of its team. 48-41 was their win over Colorado this past weekend. USC, of course, remains undefeated. 
Clear cut number one. We're going to talk about Caleb all day, every day during the pre-draft process. So I'm sure we'll have much more to uncover there. Let's get to number two, Jordan. And I'll be curious, if Caleb was the clear cut number one, how sizable of a gap are we looking at between him and your number two player? And who is that number two quarterback now? Well, it's Drake May, the quarterback from North Carolina. And I still think there's a sizable gap between the two. And the interesting thing about Drake May is that it's been an interesting year for him just because they lost so much offensively. Josh Downs, uh, some other players that they lost to Antoine Green, who was a late round selection that they relied heavily on last year. And then they lost the offensive coordinator too. Phil Longo is now at Wisconsin. So you can tell that it's been a little bit of a struggle for him to get used to these new weapons. Of course, Tez Walker was another player that they were expecting big things from this yes. year. And the things didn't work out for him uh, with the NCAA. So you can tell that he has a lot on his shoulders and he he's trying to overdo things a little bit, but the flash plays are still the flash plays. And, just thinking about the game last week against Pitt, he did not get off to a good start. He didn't look very good. But in the second half, he makes back-to-back-to-back miraculous throws. And you're like, okay, now I see why this dude is getting compared to Caleb Williams in this draft class. So it's not a situation of where you know he hasn't played bad or anything like that. I just think he's trying to overcome so much to where he's putting a lot more onus on himself this year. And he's making a lot more mistakes than what we saw last year. But he, he's made plenty flashes this year, even the left-handed throw against Pitt, little stuff yeah, like that of where you sure. see him make those throws. So he's still been good, but I, he's made a little bit more mistakes than what we saw last year. Uh, two questions for you, Matt. One, do you see it similarly? And two, assuming the answer is yes, like is the door open for somebody else to maybe walk through and become quarterback two in this draft class? Or is even though Caleb is in a tier of his own, is Drake like in a tier, a second tier of his own that is kind of leaving the rest of the field behind him? Yeah, you know, I told you guys before we started recording, every time I watch Drake May, I'm like, God, I, I want a little bit more. And maybe I'm spoiled because I watch Caleb Williams make these crazy plays. And I watch Shadur Sanders just surgically carving up these Pac-12 defenses. And then I watch Drake May and it's like, man, okay, I just, I want the big plays. I want the excitement. And it's a little more methodical from him. So I will say this, we're five weeks in. We have just started our evaluations really on these players. I do think the door is open for another quarterback to become that QB two, whether it is Shadur Sanders, whether it is Quinn Ewers, maybe who knows, JJ McCarthy. Like there's a list of great quarterbacks we're going to get through. Jordan did a fantastic job laying out 14 of them. He probably could have gone 20 deep if the editors would have let him, honestly. There's that many <laughs> good quarterbacks. So uh, I, I like Drake. I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to downplay Drake May. Physically, he's incredibly gifted. He is carrying a team that does not have the weapons that USC has. I would say even that Colorado has at wide receiver and running back. He he is carrying this team, which is why I think I go back to the Justin Herbert comparisons at Oregon, where Justin was asked to do so much at times. I, I do want to see Drake over the course of the, the rest of the season unlock that a little bit. We talked about it with CJ Stroud last year sometimes. It for CJ, it's like, oh, it looks too easy. We'd like to see him, you know, have some adversity and use his legs. And then the Georgia game happened. And it's like, oh, okay. All my questions are answered. There might still be that moment for Drake May where all my questions are answered. I'm just still waiting for it right now. Yeah, he's uh he, I think he is a good reminder that and we're seeing it play out in the NFL right now. Teams are still gonna lock in on the traits more so than the production, right? Uh Anthony Richardson went fourth overall through four weeks. Looks like a very justifiable selection by the Indianapolis Colts. So it may not always be as pretty on tape as you want it to be, but the traits are so unique there for Drake May that I still think, at least in the eyes of the decision makers at the NFL level, still very much sort of entrenched is that quarterback two. Let's get to quarterback three. And Matt, I'll let you start off here because 
On Jordan's list, a guy that is very near and dear to your heart, Quinn Ewers, who has a new look, not just in terms of his haircut, but also in terms of his body type, and has the Longhorns still undefeated. What has really stood out from him uh, so far this season? Yeah, guys, I think it's that different body type. He gets down around 195 pounds, and it showed in the athletic ability, the running ability. The last two weeks, he's broken off long touchdown runs that have come at key moments, you know, that have sparked big moments for the Texas offense. I was worried early against Kansas, and then there goes Quinn, you know, with like a 30-yard run. So I think we're still waiting to see the consistency, especially on that deep ball. It just feels like at times that he and A.D. Mitchell, he and Xavier Worthy are just not on the same page in terms of placement. And, and where the ball needs to be. And so some of that is, is definitely on Ewers. He's got to get better in that regard. But you know, he's an efficient intermediate passer. I, I think he's coming into his own in terms of pocket poise. Uh, he also just threw his first interception in forever, in like a year. He threw his first interception on Saturday. So he's an efficient player who does give you some of that mobility bon- bonus as well. How about you, Jordan? What do you think? What has like uh, allowed him to rise to quarterback three so far for you? Again, acknowledging that we are still very early in this evaluation process. Well, I, I think what a lot of people forget about Quinn is that he's still trying to figure things out at the position. This is only his second year starting, second true year starting at Texas. So he's still trying to piece things together and figure things out. And I still don't even think he's played a true entirety of a game as far as like putting it together at a high level outside of the Alabama game, which I thought was by far his best one. But Slow starts have kind of been a thing for him. Like he started one for six for like 10 yards against Baylor. He was bad in the beginning. Kansas game, he got off to a little bit of a bad start. So I still want to see him outside of Alabama put together a good game uh, for the entirety of a game. But I'm with Matt. I'm a little bit concerned as far as his deep ball consistency. It's kind of like I don't know how good you guys' golf game is. It's like he's testing out a new driver and trying to land it on the green. Mine's terrible. Yeah, (laughs) not good. It's like he's testing out a new driver and he's trying to land it on the green. So just trying to find that comfort zone. And it's just going to come at reps. He just has to keep trying to. But he has great receivers to do it. A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy are two great deep threats. They've been great for them this year. So just reps, that's what's going to come with him. But you can see that he's improving each and every week. But I just want to see him put an entirety of a game together. And no surprise that the quarterbacks we're talking about have been on the very best teams or some of the very best teams in uh, college football right now. J.J. McCarthy is no exception, Jordan. Uh, the Michigan team, once again, but they're now 4-0. and uh, Four and zero. I can barely count, but yes, they're now four, <laughs> five and zero. I don't know. All I know is that they play one of the softest schedules I've ever seen uh, in college football <laughs> during the time that Jim Harbaugh was unavailable to coach due to a suspension. Uh, so it's it, it's an interesting test here, uh, Rorschach test, if you will, Jordan. Because if you watch the Bowling Green game, you might be thinking to yourself, "This kid is going to be a first round pick." And then when you watch pretty much any other game, he had three interceptions in that game. Uh, you think to yourself, "All right, I see it." Which side are you on with J.J. McCarthy? Well, I like J.J. Just watching him over the summer, I was really surprised by how much I liked him. And then coming into this year before the Bowling Green game, I thought he was playing phenomenal, especially the UNLV game. Like you said, the the cupcake schedule isn't great for him. We haven't seen him play a true competition as far as uh, on their level yet, as far as how good they are. But the thing with J.J. is that he's a perfect complement for what they want to do. Like he's awesome off of play action. I think this year he's completing like over 85% of his passes off of play action. We know Harbaugh, he wants to run the ball. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, a fantastic tandem that they have. Roman Wilson is a receiver that he's pushing the ball to quite frequently. That's playing really well, but I still think they're kind of holding JJ's hand a little bit 
Um, so I want to see I want to see JJ face some adversity, like what we saw with CJ Stroud last year. I want to see him get down in the game and have to throw the ball. Let's see Michigan get down ten or fourteen points early, and where a team forces him to throw the ball. That's something that we haven't seen since the TCU game last year. We saw he didn't play very well in the college football playoff last year. So I want to see some more moments of where he has to face some adversity. But as far as the traits, I think JJ has outstanding traits, but we just haven't seen him uh, face that mountain of adversity of where he's forced to throw the ball. Yeah, that might not come for a while, Matt, because this Big Ten feels like it's kind of a three-team yeah. conference, right? Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, certainly very, very good and figure to be a part of the playoff mix. But can J.J. McCarthy show that in other matchups or what else does he show you so far? Uh, because, again, I mean, the numbers look really, really solid absent that B- that Bowling Green game. Uh, yeah. But I think there are some people that I, I don't I don't exactly know why, but like this feels like the first quarterback that people have needed to warm up to more relative to the others that we have discussed up to this point. Hey guys, this reminds me so much. This is like, uh, I think J.J. McCarthy's like a sexy Brock Purdy because no matter what he does, people are going to point and be like, well, it's the scheme or, oh, it's the level of competition or, oh, okay, you just carved up UNLV. But like, they're good, like, they're good players too. And he's so incredibly efficient. Like, you're going to look at at the stat line when you're scouting his games, be like, oh, 12 of 16, 180 yards, three touchdowns. Oh, he ran for 50 or 60 yards as well. So he's just, He's really good at what he's asked to do, and he's going to be one of those players, guys. I think we look back in, in like February and March and we're going to say, there's, there's some questions here because Harbaugh doesn't ask him to do a whole lot. They have the two best running backs in the nation, arguably, and so they're they're just not asking him to throw the ball a lot. Outside, oddly enough, of the two first two games when Harbaugh was was out, they threw the ball like 30 times those two ga- each of those two games. So I do think we, we might see it. You know, you might have to throw to beat Penn State. You, you're probably going to have to throw to beat Ohio State. So feel that I do think to your question, we're going to we're going to see it as we get into the season right now. But I don't want to knock J.J. McCarthy for being really good at what he's asked to do because he's great at executing that scheme. And like if you're a Vikings fan and you're looking at what Kirk Cousins does or you look at what Jared Goff does in Detroit, and you're like, man, I just want a guy to go out there and run the scheme and then maybe give us something a little bit off platform, off schedule. I think that's who J.J. McCarthy can be. Let's go to number five on the board here, and that is probably the quarterback that has risen up boards most this year. That's Shador Sanders, of course, from Colorado, Jordan, and I would argue maybe the most mechanically, fundamentally sound player that we've talked on this list so far. He's proven a lot. I know that people seem to be on either one side of the Colorado coin or the other. You either love them or you love to hate them, but if you can't see the greatness of Shador Sanders so far this season, I think you're you're sort of choosing not to acknowledge it more than anything else. Yeah, I've been blown away by Shador Sanders. I, I've really enjoyed diving into his film as a former quarterback. I love seeing guys that are super accurate, and he, I think he has the best accuracy of any quarterback in this class. He has a he plays with the plan all the time. He understands how to attack coverage, but. The thing that I love the most about Shador is that he embraces the spotlight. A lot of times being Deion Sanders kid, being in the spotlight, all eyes are on you. The whole nation watches you and he loves it. Like he he thrives off of that. And the the Colorado State game is obviously all of us were watching that. I thought that was one of his better performances, just how poised he was down the backstretch of that game. And everybody knows they're not good up front. But he battles through that every single week. I think he's taken over 20 sacks this year. That's partly due to his fall. I think he needs to get quick, get rid of the ball a little bit quicker than what he's doing. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, I compared him to Geno Smith. And that's not a slight at all. I think Geno was a very good football player coming out of West Virginia. A lot of people don't remember how good Geno was coming out his senior year. But, yeah, but the poise, the precision, the precision that he plays with, the accuracy, and then just – 
how ice cold his veins are down the backstretch of games. I've been really impressed with him. But the IQ and just his football smarts, I think that's the trait that uh, best describes Shador and how well he's playing this year. I, I put down my comp for him, a right-handed Tua, because he's so surgical and accurate and the touch passes are there and he's poised. And like Tua, like he's not exceptionally mobile, but he's going to give you something. I think Shador is probably a better runner just because he doesn't have the injury history of a Tua right now. But I, I can't think of a player I've been more impressed by this season. Like I, I love watching Shador Sanders play. And week one, I was the biggest of skeptic of how's this going to work, man? He, he met his offensive lineman two weeks ago. How's this, how's this thing going to come together with 80 new players? And even this past weekend without his two best receivers, arguably to be able to lead that comeback against USC just shows his field vision is as good as his accuracy. And I'm with you guys, like the most accurate quarterback I've seen this year, his field vision, and he doesn't have seven seconds to throw like Caleb Williams, his, his field vision has been phenomenal. So I am, I'm all aboard the hype train for Shadur Sanders. I don't know about Mel putting him up there, you know, like number two pick (laughs) or wherever Mel had him, but, but I'm, a huge fan. And I'll, I'll say this now, uh, October 2nd, when we're doing this, I don't think we need to worry about Shadur Sanders for 2024. Cause I don't, I personally don't think he's going to leave Colorado and, and, and leave that program. They're building early for the NFL. I think that would be a, a shocker at this point. Is that it's interesting, Matt. And I don't have information one way or the other, but the opportunity cost for Shadur Sanders, if he leaves is not, Hey, I can, I'm missing out on the first year of my rookie contract. It's, I might be missing out on the first year of my rookie contract, but I might have, and maybe I'm, I'm way off in ballparking this, but the opportunity to make $5 million a year in NIL money locally in Boulder or even nationally, right? And he has become a national presence that brands everywhere, I'm sure are enamored by. And I'm glad that you mentioned both of you at the athleticism, because it's like, this is Deion Sanders' son. He must be a freak athlete. I think he's a good athlete, but I think there's this misconception that he has to be, you know, Lamar Jackson back there in the pocket. At least so far, we have not seen that, and it hasn't slowed his production down at all, because he is a sniper from the pocket so far for Colorado. You could use that same term to describe Michael Penix Jr., Matt. I think one of the more interesting evaluations of all the quarterbacks, heck, maybe all the players in the country right now, because this offense, the Washington offense, has been as dominant as any unit. But this is not about Michael Penix, the college player. This is Michael Penix Jr., the NFL prospect. How do you see and forecast what his future might look like? I think this is a great ranking for Michael Penix Jr. to have him right to have him at six. Like he he's almost the start of that next tier for me. And watching him play sometimes, you're watching him in the pocket. You know, it's this kind of leaner bodied, left-handed guy with this long delivery. And you're like, this is not gonna work. But it works. I mean, he just he's a playmaker and his deep ball is a thing of beauty. And you mentioned the receivers, McMillan and Adunze, they're fantastic. They really are. But sometimes the placement that he puts on these passes is is beautiful as well. So he's probably the player that I feel like I hedge on the most right now because the injury history is is the thing for me. It's like two ACLs, a clavicle injury, a shoulder injury as well. It's a little bit of an older prospect as you know, transfer from Indiana, but Man, you watch him play on Saturdays, and he just makes big-time throw after big-time throw. So I'm excited to see him as we get into more of that conference schedule. Like I want to see him you know, <laughs> toe-to-toe with the Caleb Williams. I want to see him against Utah. You know, let's see him again. But every every game this year, he's he's checked the box, and you can only play who's on your schedule. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount him for that. Uh, yeah, Jordan, what do you think? Because I mean, the numbers are eye-popping for Michael Penix Jr. So far, does the film match the production? 
Yeah, it does. And I think of any of the quarterback prospects this year, he's going to be probably one of the funnest to debate just because there's going to be such a wide array of opinions with him. And everybody knows about the injury history. Matt already talked about it, the ACL injuries, the clavicle. But a scout raised a great question to me, and he said, at what point are we going to give him credit for being able to overcome those injuries and basically looking like a brand new quarterback? So I think it's similar, and Bo Nix hasn't suffered these situations, but it's kind of similar to a Bo Nix situation of where he's been able to reinvent himself a little bit in this Washington offense and of any quarterback in this class. He's the one I've been rushing to get to the film to on Sundays just because that Washington offense is fireworks, man. Like Those three receivers are playing at a high level right now, Odunze, uh, Polk, and then also McMillan. I think they have the best trio in the country right now. They're playing at a really high level. But with Michael Penix, he kind of has that Phillip Rivers three-quarters type of release a little bit yeah that's kind of the best way that i can describe it but we're going to find out a lot about michael Penix over the next five weeks they have a bye week this week but they come back and they play oregon a usc and then also uh utah in three of the next five games so i think that's going to be really big for his for his evaluation moving forward yeah it's hard because like when you're evaluating this washington offense it feels like not every throw but close to it it's like wow that receiver is wide open or he's got you know it's got all this time to throw but it's like Defenses are doing what they think is best to try to slow down the Washington offense. They've had no success doing that whatsoever. It's not Michael Penix's fault that his receivers are awesome and that they've done a good job blocking up for him. And he's hitting guys that are either open or, in some cases, not that open. He has been super impressive. But I guarantee you there'll be plenty of debate because some of the health concerns, like the relative lack of mobility compared to some of the players that we have talked about so far. But uh, I'm with Matt in saying that Jordan's sixth overall amongst quarterbacks is probably close to the right spot here for Michael Penix Jr. Uh, We got unfortunate news on Saturday night for Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, late in the game against Notre Dame, went down. Uh, It's an injury that looks like it could be significant. Uh, But prior to that, Jordan, we did have a little bit of time to evaluate Riley Leonard, who is elite athletically. He's still getting there as a passer. What do you see from Riley Leonard, though, uh, in terms of what it could mean for his future in the NFL? Well, he's really smart. I will say that about him. And with the Duke offense, it's very interesting to watch just because they don't push the ball down the field at all. Everything is 10 yards and under. And I put this in an article. I think they've only attempted like or he only has like 11 completions over 10 yards this year, which is like outside of the top 100 in the FBS. He does rank. not so, have two future first round picks at wide receiver. Right. In <laughs> right. <laughs> no. right. They have a little slot that they like named Jalen Calhoun. That's the only guy that they push the ball to. But outside of that is mesh concepts with shallow crossers or screen passes or some digs over the middle. Outside of that, that's their offense. But I think where he's really dangerous is that he's a really good athlete, former basketball player in Alabama, averaged over 20 yards or 20 points per game. Um, It kind of reminds me of Ryan Tannehill a little bit as far as his athleticism. I see that comparison a lot. I see that comparison a lot with him, but a lot of various opinions out there about him. Some people like him in those early round ranges, and then some people like him in those later rounds. They just want to see him outside of that rudimentary offense that they're running just because it's hard to get a good feel for him. You don't really get a good feel for his arm strength or his traits overall just because they're not pushing the ball deep at all. Yeah, I think that says a lot. And in my notes, you know, I put down like I have questions about arm talent, just overall arm talent, because you don't get to see a lot of those opposite field throws. You don't see him driving the ball up because it is so much mesh concept. You know, it's just timing based, which is touch and timing are really good. And, 
you mentioned the athleticism. It's notable. And this is a big guy. I think a lot of people maybe have seen him play and don't realize you know, he's 6'4", 215, and is a physical 6'4", 215. I mean, he's throwing down dunks in high school. This is a very good athlete and, and does bring that element to his game that probably isn't utilized enough by Duke. Uh, if I can armchair quarterback the offense there a little bit. So I, I will be excited. Hopefully, uh, I think it was reported it was a high ankle sprain. Hopefully, we, we get to see him come back this year and I think he's a player that could really benefit from one of those postseason all-star games, whether it be Shrine or Senior, uh, where he can just hey get down there and let us see you rip it a little bit. Let's see that arm strength, especially in person, and get a better feel for what your tools are. Because I would think with that body type and overall athletic ability, the arm's got to be better than than it looks sometimes on tape. Man, I got to tell you, I am not prepared for Daniel Jones comparisons from Riley Leonard just because they both went to Duke. And they both are very athletic. Yeah. There are a couple things that are similar between these two players, but I am not prepared for what I expect will be plenty of comparisons between these two. Let's get through a couple more here if we quick. If we can quickly, uh, I feel like Spencer Rattler has been in college forever, Matt. He is still in college <laughs> yeah. playing at South Carolina. And uh, earlier, I heard Jordan talking about reinventing himself in relation to Michael Penix Jr. And I think that Spencer Rattler's kind of done the same thing at South Carolina. A little bit of a slow start for them this season in terms of win losses, but I think Rattler has not been the problem down there. No, I, I'm with you. And he closed out the year last year so well and really put a positive trajectory on his draft stock. And I mean, there was conversation he may have entered last year's draft because of that, because they closed out the year so strongly. So I think with Spencer, you're always going to love or hate the, the, I call it the YOLO ball. Like there are times my man's just going to throw that ball up and whatever happens, happens. And he trusts his receivers. They've got a couple good ones. So I, I understand that strategy a little bit, but you're going to, you're going to have to live and die with the turnovers because they're, they're there on his tape, but he is a, you know, dynamic playmaker. He creates opportunities. He's great at extending the pocket and his arm talent is I mean, it's as good as any in this class. I'm trying to look at the list. It's probably the best in this class, just in terms of deep ball ability um, and the way that he can create that arc. So I think the Zach Wilson comparisons are going to be there a lot for Spencer Rattler because the body type and that the deep ball and the off-platform stuff. But uh, he deserves a ton of credit for the way he has, like you said, you know, what went down at Oklahoma and you get benched to the Red River game. Caleb Williams becomes Caleb Williams. And a lot of people, we would never hear from them again. But Spencer's done a really good job the last two years. Uh, so what do you think the ceiling is here, Jordan? Like, I think we've reached the point where like players at quarterback eight and below, maybe even higher up this list are like non first round quarterbacks. Or do you think that the list of players who with a really solid 2023 uh, finish to the season could sneak into the first round is more than like, let's say, four or five guys. Is Rattler part of that list? Yeah, he's probably that fringe late day two, early day three guy, third, fourth round range, depending on how he plays in the postseason All-Star games. The interviews are going to be big for him. Um, but everybody that I've talked to there at South Carolina said he's been great. Um, I know there was some things that came out about him during his time at Oklahoma uh, from a character standpoint. But just from overall, everything with him, everybody at South Carolina said he's been great. He's been the leader ever since he's got there. So with Spencer, it's just he's so hot and cold at times. I was at two games last year, probably his best and his worst. I was at the Clemson game and I also was at the Georgia game. So I got the full on Spencer Rattler experience with him. But he has all the arm talent that you want. Um, it's just a matter of him just honing in some of those mistakes. And he's done a better job of taking care of the ball this year. And I thought he was great against Georgia in the first half. I thought that was one of the better of moments for him this year but in the second half things just unraveled for him so it's just finding that fine line of consistency with him 
Uh, that's something that he's going to have to work on moving forward. And then in the Tennessee game, he was woefully inconsistent in that one. So you just never know which player is going to show up on Saturday. So he just has to find those consistent moments more often. All right. So we got through eight quarterbacks. There are 14 total that Jordan overviewed in his piece. It's available on ESPN.com right now. It'll come back out again with an updated version in four weeks. We gave you more than an appetizer. We have made it practically through the first course, maybe even the entree. So let's talk about players that are on the rise right now. We'll give you guys the the floor here. You can just sort of take it wherever you want. Matt, is there a name or two, maybe even three that come to mind that are kind of shooting up draft boards as we watch the early portion of the season? Yeah, I mean, I'll stay at the quarterback position with one of them, Jaden Daniels at LSU, uh, a player that I find myself becoming a fan of more every time they play. It, it's not always reflected in the win-loss, let's be honest about that, but uh, he's a playmaker, and he's he's getting it done with his arm. He's getting it done with his legs. Uh, you know, this past week, he carried that LSU offense, and so the, I have questions about, you know, body type versus the way he plays. You know, he's, he's a very lean body type, but he is reckless at times with the way he, you know, trying to jump over piles and hurdle guys, and He's taking these massive hits. So I think he's got to, you know, rein that in a little bit. He's 6'4, 210. So this is a, a lean framed guy, but uh, I'm really intrigued by the playmaking ability. Arizona State transferred LSU. Uh, I don't know that LSU is doing a, a whole lot to help him at times. It's almost like they've, they just want to chuck the ball up to those great receivers they have, is what the scheme feels like. But uh, I, I'm definitely a, a Jaden Daniels fan as we hit almost midseason. Anybody else is rising up the boards right now, Matt? Yeah, I'll go Tyler Guyton at Oklahoma. Big yeah, game this baby. weekend for him. I mean, big game. He is fantastic in pass pro. Uh, I want to see what he can do against the Texas front that is uh, deep and dangerous. You know, uh, there's a couple guys up there who aren't draft eligible. 88, uh, Baron Sorrell is fantastic. I don't know if Guyton can move him in the run game or not. If he can, uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, potential first rounder. We might be anyway because of the movement ability and pass protection it is really special. This is an incredibly deep offensive tackle class. Jordan might have to tackle uh, an offensive tackle hot board next because there's so many of those guys, but <laughs> Uh, Tyler Guyton is, is definitely someone, if you're watching the Red River game, watch that left tackle uh, matchup. But then uh, also in that game, uh, A.D. Mitchell, the wide receiver, uh, transfer from Georgia where he really wasn't utilized a whole lot, and he has been fantastic for Texas. He has been, uh, statistically, it was a little bit of a slow start. You really saw him break out this past week against Kansas. Uh, he's a 6'4" ex receiver who could play outside the hashes. He, he posts up, he's going to win those over the top routes. He reminds me physically so much of T Higgins. Now we haven't seen that statistical value yet. Like it's not there, but if, if you're standing on the field and you're watching him warm up, you're like, Oh, number four, that looks like T Higgins. And he, he moves like him and plays like him. We just need to see the numbers match that now too. A big opportunity for him. Obviously that Texas offense that is totally humming right now. And as you guys alluded to earlier in the show, Oklahoma playing some good defense these days. How about you, Jordan? Any players come to mind that are moving up your personal board right now? Yeah, I just want to back up a little bit and piggyback off of that offensive tackle point. I was just looking at my list, and I think we could get as many as like six or seven in the first round, yes. depending on if Marius Mims comes back healthy. Field, you tweeted about Jordan Morgan this morning, who I think is a first-round caliber player. Matt, I know you're a big fan of Patrick Paul at Houston, who's got a lot of love, a scouting buzz. So even somebody like a Kingsley Sumatahia at BYU – who's getting some fresh round buzz too. So this offensive tackle class is awesome. But as far as my risers, I'm going to go with two Oregon guys. I think we have to mention Bo Nix at Oregon just because I, I think a lot of people think of Bo Nix and who he was at Auburn, but this is a completely different player now. And Oregon fans came after me at, at my hot board, but guys, <laughs> Bo Nix will be higher on the next one. Trust me. He's playing some really good ball this year. So 
I, I think he's one player that um, he's climbing in league circles. And he's another name that's mentioned in that Brock Purdy type of role that a lot of people are going to like as the pre-draft circuit continues on. And another player that I want to mention at Oregon is Troy Flint, Franklin, who's a wide receiver, yes. who's yeah. been his top target. And he's not mentioned for some reason outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., of course, in this wide receiver class. But I think he should be mentioned right in that Keon Coleman, Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze. I think he's right in that tier. Deep threat, had over uh, 30-plus yard catch in every game, all five games this year. And he's playing some really good ball this year. So keep an eye on Troy Franklin from Oregon. I wonder if there are going to be some tackles, quarterbacks, and receivers that get lost in the shuffle as much as we want to talk about players during the pre-draft process because – uh, and you guys have been uh, diving deeper on this class than I have for sure for a much longer time. But very deep quarterback class, very deep offensive tackle class, very deep wide receiver class. And then a lot of spots where it's like, you know, defensively, this is not going to be the year that you're going to find like a bunch of Lawrence Taylors, right? Like there are some really <laughs> weak spots in this class. Running back feels very weak again this year. You know, like in, in tight ends, obviously we've got Brock Powers and Jatavian Sanders, but it's not like there's, you know, four or five guys that you could see being taken in the first 35 picks, whatever it was last year. It was such a deep tight end class. Um, it feels like this year is going to be the year of tackles, wide receivers, and quarterbacks. And uh, guys are going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit, not because they aren't great players, but just because there are so many guys at their respective positions. So a uh, lot to dive into over the next four weeks or so, because we'll come back early November. But in the meantime, you can find these two great men all over social media, Jordan Reed, Matt Miller. Hotboard will be updated every four weeks. And uh, Matt, what do you have coming around the uh, the corner here content-wise? Anything we should be looking for upcoming soon? Yeah, if you missed it, I uh, had a deep dive on Marvin Harrison Jr. as a generational prospect and NFL scouts talking about how great he is. I'm going to do a deep dive in a similar vein on Caleb Williams. What NFL scouts are saying, what general managers are saying. You hear us talk about Man, this guy is great. You know, he's an elite prospect. But what what do scouts who've been through USC say? What do general managers who are are now trying to figure out if, if he's a guy that they're willing to reboot their franchise for? What they're saying. So that'll be coming out in the within the next few weeks. So I'm really excited to to get that in front of everyone. All right, Jordan. Obviously, you just dropped this great article. Anything else coming around the corner that we should be keeping our eyes out for as well? So the quarterback hot board, obviously, that will be updated early November. That will be the, when the next one comes out. Also have mock draft 1.0 coming out late October Ooh, as well. Ooh. So be, be on the lookout for that. Nothing gets the juices flowing like a mock draft. And I like when we have an order that's more reflective of like seven or eight weeks as opposed to the preseason when everybody gets pissed because their team is picking <laughs> way too high. When again, right. Jordan and Matt are not the ones deciding the order. We are relying upon a formula that predicts it for us. Uh, guys, as always, great stuff. For those that have been listening in here on the First Draft Podcast, we'll be back again in early November. Can't wait. The NFL Draft is getting closer by the minute. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. 